Welcome to Transform Now, the podcast brought to you by robotic process automation pioneer, Blue Prism. Digital transformation has the potential to reshape the way companies service their customers, engage their employees, and manage their operations. Whether you're looking to develop strategies, tactics, and best practices to positively impact the future of work, or you're curious to learn how other companies have successfully navigated their digital transformation programs, then this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Transform Now podcast. I'm your host, Michael Marchuk, and today we have a special guest, Von Tonquinlevin, CEO of Futuro Health and author of the new book, Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for Employers, Educators, and Workers in an Unsettled Time. We'll be chatting with Von about more about the changes in the workforce that are altering the way that organizations are staffing and the way that workers are adapting to t- new technologies. So welcome, Von. Thank you so much, Michael. Glad to be here. I'm glad you are here. So you've done quite a lot. So could you briefly tell us a little bit about your current role and what led you to writing your book? Well, Michael, my um, my expertise in workforce development actually spanned the private sector, the public sector, and now the nonprofit sector. I had Kaiser Permanente and SEIU UHW, two organizations, really wrestling with how to grow the next generation of healthcare workers. And uh, they had spent quite a bit of uh, time noodling the approach. And when they came, they put out the challenge, well, we need scale, we need inclusivity, and we need agility. Could you actually design a workforce development strategy that delivered on on all three? And that's the launch of Futuro Health. And in just two years, we launched three months before the pandemic, we were able to go from zero to serving over 5,000 adults, diverse adults, into healthcare education credential pathways. Especially in healthcare, you, you need to attain a credential in order to even be considered for an interview. And, and we are able to talk about the, the diversity. Average age is 30, 80% ethnic and, and diversity. And we broke 52% bilingual, which is really important when it comes to having a workforce reflective of the communities that are being served. That's great. In your book, you mentioned your background prior to Futura Health, which really shaped the way you viewed education and the way the corporate and public sector worked or didn't work well together. I was hoping you could elaborate on what happened and how that influenced your views on workforce development. So, Michael, when I was in the private sector, I led workforce development for a company of 20,000 men and women, and this was in the energy sector. And I remember as special assistant to the CEO at the moment in time, I would go around and I would hear the company talk about how it had all these great jobs, really good paying jobs, and it could not find uh, diverse quality candidates as if diversity and quality could not belong together. And so I knew that there would be many communities, including my, my own background, that would be very interested in these good paying jobs if they were only aware, for one, and if they were prepared for the pre-employment process. And so I pitched to the CEO and the chief human resources officer at that time and said, look, we can actually create a reliable, quality, diverse talent pipeline. However, we need to do it in a different way from what we've been trying. Prior to that, the company would go out and, for example, go into community-based organization. And out of the 30 individuals they would test on their pre-employment exam, maybe they would get one out of 30 being qualified to move on to the next step. And that was just a paper test. And that's not counting the drug test 
and the, the criminal uh, background check. And so the company was very discouraged by the design, by the workforce development work that it was doing. So instead, I proposed that it take a, 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 a different approach, borrowing from what I call the three-legged stool of workforce development. Uh, and this I discuss in chapter one of my book. And these three stools do not require an employer, for example, to do everything. Rather, that each party should do what it does best. And this is one, one uh, myth that many employers have, that they have to do everything. Instead, employers, as the first leg of the stool, should really focus on articulating what they need, basically the specification for, for their talent needs, and then hiring. The second leg of the stool is really about leveraging the network of uh, community-based organization or a set of public agencies called public workforce development boards. And they can do a better job going out into the communities, diverse communities, and have conversation, bring people into the awareness for these roles, and then screen them against the criteria of the, the employers. So, for example, I needed to make sure back when I was in the private sector that candidates had clean background checks, could pass the drug test, and didn't fear heights because the roles that we had required them to climb up trees and buildings and anyone that had a fear of height wouldn't be interested in these jobs. So they were able to screen all of that and then provide us a short list. And then the third leg of the stool is actually the education provider. And it's not to train from scratch, but rather to close the gap between what these candidates had and what the employers needed. So for example, in our pre-employment test, we found that a lot of the candidates were failing in a section on spatial reasoning. So they added a whole workshop on spatial reasoning, those Lego blocks, uh, if you move them differently, how would you map them? So the education provider in incorporated a whole physical education regimen, including soccer games in the morning, as well as a lot of exercises. And this readied the population within the three-month time frame to pursue our pre-employment testing. So th that's part of the three-legged stool, where if you lift up each tool, and have each of these partners do what they do best, then you can create the reliable, diverse, and quality talent pool that everyone needs. That, that makes a lot of sense. So as we see within organizations who are trying to do a technology refresh or introducing the, the new technologies that are continuing to come forth, obviously this puts a strain in a different way in a workforce. Perhaps they're not scaling buildings, but they are certainly working with technologies that are brand new to them because perhaps they've never had exposure to them. So it, when technology advances, such as crowdsourcing and gig, the gig economy and, and new technologies that come in play, do you see the essential the relationship between employees and employers changing because of the gig economy? Does it change based on the, their education? When you start looking at the technology that's been introduced, that's maybe be disrupting or affecting their jobs. Maybe I can answer your question in two parts. Uh, one is as new technologies are introduced, and again, it's not that there weren't new technologies introduced previously, it's that the rate of introduction is increasingly fast and there's not as much time for employees and workers to absorb. For example, I was in a, a room of uh, Silicon Valley tech chief human resources officers, and one uh, one CHRO stood up and said, oh, my company is going to shift strategy and now move into cloud computing. I'm going to have to fire all of my engineers and go find cloud 
engineers. The reality, Michael, was that there's a shortage of cloud engineers. This company did not have the biggest name, the sexiest uh, brand name. And so it would have to really pay extraordinary amounts if it were to be successful in hiring cloud engineers, assuming that they could even find one. So I just offered up an alternative, which was, have you considered instead working with an education institution, creating a cloud computing certificate, offering that certificate to all of your existing engineers and giving them the option to skill up and close the gap in that knowledge? Because those engineers already are a good fit with your culture. It's just they're missing this one set of skills. It would be a much more reliable strategy than starting from scratch. And he actually pursued this strategy. Now you've seeded that skill set into the education system, which then can begin to create engineers with cloud computing skill sets on its own now that you've infused that DNA into the, uh, the education curriculum. That's a more uh, a current example. In the past, I had to deal with uh, electric vehicle when it was first rolling out of the, on the line, my company was the, was on the pioneering side in terms of buying a fleet of electric vehicles. And it found itself in a conundrum where the manufacturer were rolling out these vehicles so fast, they didn't have time to set up the training. And so if you're a mechanic of a company that bought one of these vehicles and you touched a vehicle without the training, it would void the warranty. So as you can imagine, that was a real operational dilemma. And my company didn't know what, quite what to do. And so similarly, what, what I designed for them was said, let's find eight community colleges with the closest curriculum and what we'll do is we'll ask the manufacturer to allow our master mechanic to train those eight community colleges on this electric vehicle curriculum. And not only did we were able to skill up our mechanics in those two months, but then we seeded the electric vehicle knowledge and skill sets into the education pipeline that then naturally produce more students with that skill set. So, you know, I think that's a good play for new technologies are introduced, and it doesn't matter whether it's AI or self-driving vehicle or the whole range of cool things that are, are coming about. Do you see that fundamental relationship between employer and employee changing due to the way that the gig economy has grown? And is there a way that these employees slash future gig workers would have to skill up to be able to fit into that from a corporate acceptance perspective? The gig economy is very much changing the dynamics between the employers and the contractors or the workers. And you've begun to see a lot of um, reorganizing of workers. So for example, they began to create a worker co-op as a way to buy insurance or healthcare plans. So the thing that is concerns me the most about the gig economy is that you may have access to flexibility, which is very positive, but the downside is you may not have access to assets. So for example, you know, my, my father-in-law worked for you know, 30 years with Boeing and doing that whole time, they invested in his uh, skilling him up. They, they invested in his healthcare, they invested in his training and, many, and insurance and many other things. So what we have is we, in the gig economy, we're at risk of having workers access wages and maybe flexibility, but it's 
becomes difficult for them to access assets. And so I think the challenge for all of us from the public policy and, and even the corporate side is how do we stabilize households such that you have the best of the gig economy, but workers can still have assets. And so that, that's why we've been looking at ourselves like worker co-ops where workers can have ownership in a structure. And when the company makes uh, money, instead of the money's being paid to the shareholder, it gets paid to the worker. So that's a form of asset. So these are the more provocative ideas that we need to consider as the economy moves more and more to fragmented work. Thinking from the corporate side rather than the employee side now, as you're looking at at talent and sourcing in a broader sense, because as we see within our, our platform specifically, we have digital workers, we have robots that are working on specific things, and then we have humans that work on other things. Now you have this capability of looking at work differently where you can take and fragment or allocate work to the right workers, depending if it's a digital worker, a gig worker, someone who's transient versus perhaps one who is more invested in the organization. So Michael, what have HR organizations changing how they source? So for example, just having normal sourcing specialists that look for talent to platform-based sourcing specialists who specialize in leveraging these platforms to find talent. But the, the other part is, how do you begin as an employer to signal also what you're interested in, especially if you're pushing the envelope in terms of new frontiers and making sure that the candidate pool has inclusion and uh, equity consideration. Otherwise, you, you'll uh, continue to have the contracting capacity is going to be highly skewed. I, I sometimes make the provocation. If you think about what's happened in Uber and, and Liftland, it is really, it's the, the platform is matching worker and work. So you're the driver with, with the assignment. Who else does that role of matching workers and work? It's really the man, middle manager. So it makes you wonder, in the future state, is the algorithm really becoming the middle manager, our middle manager? And so what's going to be important in that future state is how do we represent ourselves in terms of the data that the algorithm can read and so that you will be more eligible for work. I think these are the things to think about in terms of setting the breadcrumbs for that future state where employers can really mix and match and create virtual teams as needed in order to do the work that they need done. You bring up an excellent point, which is how people evaluate people for work. We look at the skills they're capable of. We look at the amount of work or the type of work that we have and we'll segment out. So if a middle manager sees specific employees with particular talents, they'll funnel that work towards them up to some capacity, in which case they identify either I need more people like that, or I can train or extend the current people I have. But as you mentioned, as you bring into the, the AI and robotics side of things, now you may have the opportunity to take those work segments or fragments and allocate them to systems or to robots or to people or to gig workers or to other organizations that are going to provide these for you in an outsourcing sort of way. So now that work itself becomes an opportunity to select the right worker for the work that you're trying to do. How do you see corporations 
going back to your three-legged stool, corporations, workers, and the education system adapting to that sort of environment where work becomes this, this module. On the people who need to do the work, like the employees on the inside, clearly one of the skill set is to be able to manage these virtual teams that come together. How do you normalize them? And then having the workflow that, that supports them in working with these virtual teams. Of course, the pandemic has made it a lot easier and more normal to do that. The other thing that that is a consideration for the employers is that, again, I think there's a lot of conversation about the DEI, but we don't want that to be just um, a moment in time. We actually want it to be systemic. A colleague of mine was talking about this very advanced computing skill set. Right now, where if you have the skill set, you're talking about earning $300,000 and more. But those degree programs are only being seeded at a few institutions. And what she's doing instead is propose that they bring the curriculum and support faculty at the minority serving institutions, those colleges that are focused on, on minority uh, serving populations, sponsor the faculty that can teach that topic in those institutions, because unless you're intentional about seeding the creation of that talent pool and doing so in a diverse and inclusive way, you're going to find yourself um, at a moment in time where you don't have a pool that it, that has minority participation in it. So as you look at these organizations, both corporate and public, who are looking to best align the right work to the right resources, how would you advise them for a next step or a first step, perhaps, if they haven't gone to think, think along this way of taking work and abstracting it so that to see it from this capability of adding work to resources out there from the various flavors? It's really hard for organization. I mean, right now they're just, just working to tread water and deal with their workforce needs. But it's so important when we're developing human talent that we begin to look around the corner. Where's the puck going? And then therefore, what is changing? So I'll, I'll give an example that I mentioned in my book, which was the country of Singapore. What their system recommends is looking at the innovation leaders. So they have an airport, Terminal 5, that is fully automated. There's no baggage handler, no one to check you in. There's not even people cleaning that terminal. It's fully automated. And so they're using it to watch what the workflow is. How has this technology, how's the adoption of that technology changed the workflow? And hence, how does that then change the skill sets? So they're the bellwethers for looking at how skills will change. And so I would encourage all the listeners as they're working with technology, look to the innovation leaders to be harbingers of how skills would change. And then again, be intentional about seeding those changes into curriculum of education partners. And then also thinking about developing the talent pool that would have those skill sets in advance because human development, as you know, takes time. And so we need to intentionality. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves with uh, the continuous uh, talent puddle. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. So Vaughn, thank you so much for your time today and giving us your insights on how organizations can prepare their workforce for diversity and success. I'm going to leave a link, link to the book, Workforce Rx, Agile and Inclusive Strategies for Employers, Educators, and Workers in Unsettled Times in the show notes for our listeners who are looking to understand how this new playbook I could help them source their talent. So again, thank you, Vaughn, for joining us today. I really appreciate it. It was a delight to be with you today, Michael. 
Thanks for tuning in to Transform Now. For more insightful discussions on digital transformation and more, check out our podcast channel where you'll find all of our previous episodes. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. And if you like what you've heard, please leave us a review. For more information about digital transformation and the future of work, check out blueprism.com to learn how Blueprism's digital workforce is enabling enterprise transformation now.